My name is Michael Delgado, and I'm on special assignment for ArtReportToday.com. My guest today is the influential light and space artist Peter Lodato. Lodato's work spans several decades and began in the 1960s when he created installations exploring the nature of perception, specifically in the way physical spaces can be transformed into immersive experiences. He's included in numerous esteemed collections, including the Brooklyn Museum, the Seattle Art Museum, the Dallas Museum of Art, and the San Diego Museum of Contemporary Art. The Frederick Weissman Foundation curated an extensive solo retrospective of Lodato's work in 2000, and his work has been exhibited at the Whitney, Mocha LA, and LACMA. Lodato began working in a small studio in the Union Hardware Building next to MacArthur Park, a very tough part of town in that era, well, and it remains so. But like other rough-and-tumble artists' enclaves, it produced its share of successful creatives. But like other rough-and-tumble artists' enclaves, it produced its share of successful creatives, like Jamie Odgers and fashion designer Sue Wong, who would launch a fashion empire. Each of them spawn of that downtown shamble. I caught up with Peter on the phone from his Venice Beach studio. I was aware that he had taught at Art Center in Pasadena, and then he went on to also teach at the University of California, Irvine, which would become known for its faculty. In addition to Peter, instructors would include Tony DeLapp, Larry Bell, Via Selmans, Robert Irwin, and Ed Moses, among other notable artists. Under this faculty, students that would become influential included none other than Michael Asher, Nancy Buchanan, Chris Burden, Ned Evans, James Terrell, and Robert Walker, just to name a few. But I didn't know that at the Art Center, Peter was teaching art history. I have a pretty good background in art history. and I have that from uh, actually from my mother from growing up. Uh, there were oh, always, but uh, you didn't like get a degree in it or anything. No, uh-uh. or did or did you? I'm not an art historian, and I taught uh, I taught the history of uh, 19th century French painting. I wondered if the French impressionists and their preoccupation with color and light, think of say a Cezanne landscape, had influenced his work. Well, uh, that's a good question. Not really. I mean. Uh, my my work really came from uh uh abstract expressionism uh from uh, Newman and Rothko were the uh uh first kind of uh people that I plugged into now did, did you would you did you know those guys or Cockburn or because uh, Barnett I mean Rothko wasn't probably around for you but Newman was right not really. I mean, I just knew them. <clears throat> I I knew Newman from watching um, KCET. They had uh, there was a show uh, interviews with artists, and he was one of them. And this is when I was very young, but he right. he made a real impression on me. 
The influence of Rothko and Newman are plain enough to see in Lodata's feathered edges and the sense of the canvas as a void. He, however, began with installations and exploring the use of light and shadow with reflective surfaces. First it started with uh, mirrors and lights, you know, projecting shadows uh, and reflections. And then I realized that I could paint the same uh, sort of sensations on the wall. And uh, there was a there was a period of time where I discovered this stuff called Murano. It's like uh, pearlescence, and I used to make I used to spray uh, these areas on the wall and then uh, draw out uh, rectangles and uh, uh, define the edge with the you know the wall the white wall paint, and um, so. The uh, what you would see would depend on where you are in relationship to the light source and the, the reflection on the wall, if that makes any sense. <laughs> and then the Murano, what that paint does is that where the highlight is, it reflects one color, and as the light diffuses, it, it turns into its complement. <clears throat> Rather than making these kind of ephemeral, you know, rectangles on the wall. I started painting uh, really saturated color rectangles and black yeah. that that were very matte, very flat. So they, the intention was they would be like voids of color. And then the edge of the rectangles would, uh, uh, because of the <clears throat> intensity of the color, would produce um, an afterimage of the opposite color. So the perception of... of you know, uh, getting, let's see, saturated, seeing saturated color and producing after image, it became very physical, and that, that was the, uh, the thrust of uh, making those kind of paintings. Peter also acknowledges the strong influence of a pioneering artist of the time as well. At the time, it was, there was a reaction to, um, to abstract expressionism, you know, which came... Uh, the next guys were like post-painterly abstraction. And then I guess uh, Bob Irwin, seeing those discs, uh, and who else? Maybe Flavin. Uh, oh. Uh, the Real uh, had a big, right. big influence on me. But Irwin was a really good friend of a friend of mine named Ed Wirtz, who was uh, married to Melinda Wirtz. And Melinda was the... Um, uh, the uh, head of fine arts there, and uh, I used to go down, uh, uh, ride with her, and, and uh, how I got that job is that uh, Craig Kaufman was teaching there, and he went on sabbatical, so I got uh, to take his place for a year. Soon after gaining recognition for his installations, one of Peter's friends posed a fundamental question that would alter Peter's path forward. After a large show curated by the Frederick Wiseman Foundation at Pepperdine University, Peter transitioned away from working in three dimensions and concentrated on painting. Uh, it was my friend Tom Woodle. <laughs> I had a show, uh, I think it was at, uh, um, oh, what's that place? Uh, Pepperdine, uh, the Wiseman Museum. Oh, and, right, yeah. And I did an installation, and I had also a, a bunch of other things. So 
I think I I went to, to see the show with Tom Woolville, and I distinctly, he says, what's holding you back? And I said, what do you mean, what's holding me back? And he says, why don't you just make paintings on canvas? I mean, what? why are you, you know, why is it important to do that? And uh, I had to mull that over quite a bit, and... Uh, and it, it made sense. And uh, so that's when I started uh, making the uh, paintings on the canvas. It seems Peter had also grown disenchanted with the temporary nature of installation art. Well, it, it was uh, largely a motive to uh, uh, preserve the painting. Uh, so, you know, when I do an installation, they'd go away, or, uh, transient things. And... Uh, I got to where I, I really liked uh, the painting aspect of the wall paintings, and uh, putting it on canvas was a way of preserving that. And also, it was a way of, um, you know, painting with oil paint to make soft edges and crisp edges and all these mm -hmm. different things that oil paint has the potential to do. Uh, and that became a part of the vocabulary. So it was really... Um, uh, it's really great to be uh, liberated in this sense and to try a bunch of different things. In Peter's masterful manipulation of paint, he coaxes his colors to vibrate, float, and create that spellbinding sense of void. Early on, he used paints favored by Hollywood set painters because they're so flat, that is to say matte and non-reflective. I wondered whether or not he got involved in the chemistry of his materials in the way that, say, Yves Klein formulated his signature blue. Peter said he uses oil paints like anyone else, but he did let us in on one little trick of his trade. I had to research uh, uh, colors that would be uh, very flat or matte, so, they, so they would, there would be no surface reflection, and that would give the appearance of a void or deep space. I try to keep them as flat as possible, and... Uh, one way is, uh, that it's achieved is, you know, painting in layers and then, uh, taking a, uh, uh, a hockey brush, uh, and fanning the surface so to get rid of, uh, you know, to make it very flat and unified. And, uh, so that's, uh, <laughs> that's how I do it. Peter's canvases have a distinct palette, and I wondered if there is an underlying meaning to specific colors. One of the things, the motivation of the color, were uh, uh, an awareness of uh, the chakras in the body. Uh, you know, that, uh, the colors, um, uh, the chakras go from red to, you know, white on the top. And <clears throat> the red chakra is the genitals, Orange is the, just uh, the gut or the hara, just below the navel. Yellow is the liver or the cleansing color. <clears throat> Green is the heart or the color of compassion. Blue is the color of the throat, uh, which is towards um, uh, spirituality. And, of course, purple is the combination of, of blue towards spirituality and red, sex. So that is the purple, which is the, thought to be the wisdom chakra. And then all the chakras together are, are white, you know, all white uh, uh, together. So that's the crown chakra, which is on the top of the head. So 
that kind of thinking really influenced the way that uh, uh, the reasons, uh, the motives uh, to, to use color. I'm making, uh, <clears throat> well, uh, a series of paintings that are, uh, you know, the, the same thing. They're um, 40 by 30 canvases that are the colors of the chakras. They're, uh, you know, red, there's a, a, a border of white, uh, and the edges are are very soft, and there's no surface, so they're kind of like uh, uh, voids of color. Yeah, and I've been making. I've been making. Um, uh, I took a I went to the Pantheon. Uh, I think in the early '80s, and and I took uh, uh, photographs of the Oculus. Uh, mm -hmm. the Pantheon, and there wasn't enough light, but uh, in the photographs, it was just like kind of a moon uh, image floating at the top of the rectangle, mm -hmm. and that became uh, uh, an image that I've been using for quite some time. It's a damn shame that his current exhibit at the William Turner Gallery here in L.A. has been paused for the pandemic, but you can see the exhibit virtually and learn more about this master of light and space at WilliamTurnerGallery.com. I highly encourage you to do so. Peter is a fantastic painter and a very interesting artist and a really nice guy. For Art Report Today, I'm Michael Delgado. Thanks for listening.